Are you hesitating to take the next step in your e-commerce journey? Founder Plus has you covered with proven frameworks tailored to your business needs for fast results, a supportive community of over 30,000 like-minded entrepreneurs and weekly live mentorship sessions. Founder Plus is your key to success. Try Founder Plus today for just $1 for seven days and start building your dream business with confidence. You can visit founder.com forward slash start dollar trial or click the link in the description to claim your trial. This is episode number 62 with Chris Strode of the Founder Podcast. What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human. Who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. 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 The Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet, you are in the right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Steve Case, Gary V, Sophia Amoroso, Barbara Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast. The Founder Podcast. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Before we start today's episode, I just want to let you know that our goal at Founder is to help entrepreneurs succeed however we can by giving away high quality content in the form of interviews, blog posts, podcasts, YouTube videos, you name it. We put out so much content to help you. And another interesting project that we're working on right now is partnering with world-class founders like Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills like negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free trainings with founders like this, which is 100% free, just go to founder.com forward slash free. Okay, so now let's talk about today's episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Founder Podcast. My name is Nathan Chan and I am your host coming to you live from Melbourne, Australia. We've got really, really good weather at the moment and uh, spring carnival's on and uh, it's good times, good times. Uh, What's been happening in my world, there's a lot been happening in uh, the world of Founder. We're really, really starting to ramp up our content. We're getting very, very I guess, focused on optimizing our uh, one of our marketing funnels. Uh, we're looking at doing some more courses soon and products. There's a lot happening. Got so many epic interviews planned for you. We're, we're, we're starting to roll out our plans for 2016. And uh, wow, you guys are in for an absolute treat. So yeah, uh, I'm trying to keep my head above water. We are still pretty consistent with posting these episodes, which I'm quite proud of. And uh, that's really where it's at. Uh, we hit another milestone today of the day of recording this episode. So what's that? Mid-October, we've just hit over 100, literally 100,000 people are now on our, our email newsletter community, which is an amazing feeling to know that Founder was just a thought in my head two and a half years ago. And uh, now, you know, 100,000 plus people rely on the content that we send every week, you know, we've built up an amazing community and we're just getting warmed up. So really, really excited. Happy days. Now to today's guest. His name is Chris Strode. He's a, a fellow Australian and he's a founder of a company called Invoice2Go. 
They have over 100,000 customers, and it's just epic invoicing software. They are one of the top business apps in the App Store. You know, it's funny. Chris started this company a long time ago, and, you know, even four years ago, he was running it solo, and now uh, they have over 90 staff. And uh, these guys are absolutely crushing it. They've, he, he's just, he's done, they've just done their Series A round of funding, and uh, they had a, a valuation of $100 million, and they received over $35 million in venture capital funding. So, yeah, these guys are turning it up a level, and me and Chris talk about some really interesting things that I've never touched on in a podcast episode where... You know, namely, like, why do you, why did he choose to to take that amount of money? Why did they choose to raise capital when he said they were an extremely profitable business? Why why would you do that? And also, uh, he's actually stepped down as the role of CEO, and they've hired a CEO. And uh, it's really interesting to hear how they're starting to scale up, why they're making the decisions they're making right now, and uh, yeah, I'm really proud of this interview. I think you're going to enjoy it. There's a lot of interesting things here around how he's grown invoice to go, how they're operating the business, how they're getting their customer base, and a lot of key lessons on leadership. All right, guys, so that's it from me. If you are enjoying these episodes, please do take the time to leave us a review. I'd love to hear from you as well. You can reach me at nathan at foundermag.com. Now let's jump into the show. We'll start off with the first question that I ask uh, every one of our guests is, how'd you get your job? Basically, I started as a software developer and then from that point in time, once I'd honed my skills as a software developer, you know, five or six years working with other people, working for other people, I was always interested, you know, in small business because I come from a family of people who are in small business, specifically trades people. So I've got a brother who's a bricklayer another who's a carpenter and another who's a who's an actual plumber and my my dad tried to make me an electrician <laughs> I think he was trying to get a, his, his retirement house built for, for, for free but so I came I came from that background you know small business and so I started working as a freelance software developer and one of the first things I had to do was create an invoice and I just found that all the other, all the software that I was that was at my disposal was fully fledged accounting packages, and and they just weren't. There wasn't anything for small business, like for someone who didn't want to learn an accounting package. And I knew coming from a family of small, where there was a lot of small business um, people that you know that we just didn't have that the you know that my that my siblings didn't have the technical knowledge to to navigate you know these big complex accounting packages and I thought oh you know there's got to be a, there's got to be an easier way I went to try and find an easier way you know just from the shareware that was available at the time and there wasn't even anything there was no shareware available or nothing available where I could pick up a package and within 2 minutes I could actually go and create an invoice so that became the criteria for the software that I wanted to write. Any small business within two minutes of downloading the software could have created a, a professional-looking invoice and be sending it off to, to their own clients. And every decision that I made for how to develop the, the app and also how to develop the business just came around to trying to help businesses, you know, within the first few minutes get up and running with, with our application. 
was Invoice to Go your first business idea? How long ago was this? Can you take us back? Yeah, it was a long time ago. So this was over a decade ago, even long before mobile. And so I guess that's when mobile did come around, I was already you know, an expert in the invoicing space. It wasn't like I said, oh, you know, what am I going to do? Um, you know, mobile's here, you know, what should we do? Was it, we, I'd already been building shareware for invoicing for seven years prior to that. Yeah, it was 10, it was 10 years ago. So I knew when mobile came around what people wanted to do, you know, how, or how businesses worked. We already had several thousand subscribers who were using our, um, who were using our Windows app. And it was really just taking everything that we'd learned in building, you know, a Windows app, which was still known by the same name as invoice to go and putting it into a mobile product. It seemed obvious to me that all the businesses that we were dealing with were mobile businesses. And it wasn't until iPhone came around that I felt confident enough that a platform had arrived where you could, which was, you know, simple enough for people to actually be able to do something complex from like, you know, sending an invoice, which is prior to that, you know, you could send text messages and do voice calls, but there, you wouldn't want to go much deeper on any, any mobile device. Mm. So, yeah, look, this is really interesting because I've always known as invoice to go as the mobile app. And would you say that when you guys, did you guys launch the mobile app as soon as Apple went live with the app store or how long did that take to come out? Cause you, is that when you really hit your strides? That's when we hit our strides. Yeah. We, we were, uh, I was a one man band, um, up until about four and a half years ago. So those first seven years was literally just myself and, uh, me, myself and I <laughs> doing, uh, development tech support and sales. So then I, when, when the uh, iPhone SDK got released, that was when I started developing our iPhone app. And it took about nine months to build the app after the SDK got released. And then that's when we really hit our stride. So, you know, very quickly, the iPhone app started outselling our desktop app. And then um, I hired our first employee about roughly about four years ago. And we've grown... Well, if there's 90 people now who work for Invoice to Go, so over the last four years, we've gone from one to 90 people. Wow, that's impressive. So I'm curious just to touch on that first seven years, Chris. So were you running like a SaaS pretty much? Was it always only local-based application, not on the cloud, nothing like that? Or No, it wasn't a SaaS or anything. Yeah, it was literally, it was really like a shareware type product yep. where you download it, it would run locally. And uh, yeah, there was, it was just a local, it was the local install. Gotcha. So you were working as a software developer. What made you go to freelance in the beginning? Like, I'm just curious, why did you go to freelance and then developing your own app? How, how did that happen? It was, it was really just, uh, it was that next logical step, you know, that a lot of people you'd work in a business, you'd learn, you'd learn, you know, what to do. And then, uh, I guess from being a freelancer, you learned that every every business that you worked in was different. So when I was building Invoice to Go, I knew the one thing I knew was that every business is different. So we have to this has to be an app which is is super easy to customize, so that businesses can come in and they can put their own brand into the invoice. They can choose their own logos, and so that's what freelancing taught me that every business is different. And I made sure that that flexibility was built into Invoice to Go. I see. And when you launched the app, did you go for a freemium model or or just a paid 
pay for the app? Like, where'd your strategy come behind that? Because the app store is very crowded these days. Yeah, so when we first launched, there were no time-based trials in the app store. Apple was literally saying, you you know, you can't take functionality out once it's been once the user's downloaded the app. That's changed now, which is good. So when we first launched, we did what everyone else did and had a light version of our app and then a paid version. And it was just standalone too. It wasn't a SaaS model. And so one of our biggest transitions has been taking the company from just a standalone product to a SaaS company. And um, yeah, that, that, that was one of the hardest transitions, just you know, navigating that process and keeping our customers happy. When you're in the app store, you can't take a paid app and turn it into a free app. We literally had to, and, you, and you've got so much um, traction already around that existing paid app moving that traction onto you know into a SaaS app which is another which is another app within the app store took a lot of work and and it's taken a long time to to get it right yeah i see and are you guys uh like can you use invoice to go on the computer and and is it all linked up from there because i'm sure many of our audience would love to know that too or you have to use the app Oh, yeah. So now we're a fully uh, cloud-based application. You can use it on an Android device. You can use it on our web app. You can use it on on iOS. So, yeah, it's across all devices. Gotcha. And and when we focus on building a native app for each device, gotcha. for each platform. Yep. And where would you find most of your traction comes from now? Generally, the app or, or the web app? or Yeah, so I'd say probably, uh, yeah, I'd say, you know, it's... Um, the App Store is, brings in a lot of people, also Android too, and uh, and the web. I'd say most of it is coming from uh, from mobile, definitely from mobile. Just to touch on back on the early days, because I always find this stuff really interesting. Like you've got 90 stuff now. You guys are the number one invoicing software out there. You know, how did you get your first thousand customers for your shareware version? Did it take a lot of hustle? Like tell, tell us about the hard times, Chris. Tell us about the times when you felt like giving up. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, now it's easy to think. Yeah, we're the, we're actually yeah the top grossing business app now and the number one invoicing app worldwide. So yeah, it obviously didn't start that way. It started way back when um, I was living with my in-laws or future to be in-laws a year before I was due to get married, and literally working out of the spare bedroom there and and you know spending a spending every spare second for a year and a half to try and just launch that first version of the shareware. So, so that was working, uh, you know, in transit, back and forth on the train, working weekends, working Christmases, working Easter. You know, so on top of doing, you know, a 40-hour job, I think I was probably doing another 60 hours on the app a week. So, yeah, 100-hour weeks. Wow. Which, which are possible when you don't have kids, I guess, and when, uh, and when you've got a supportive partner. I, I, you couldn't attempt that now when you've got three kids. <laughs> um, but uh, it was possible to do back then. I think it's the best time to do it before, you know, before you do start a family. So, yeah, that, I think, you know, that, that, was, that was pretty tough. And to get the first thousand customers, you know, I, it was always like I was really aiming for this, that first hundred. That was the first hundred was a milestone. And I knew that if you could sell one, then you could sell 10. If you could sell 10, then you could sell 100 and keep thinking, you know, just sort of exponentially. So even to get that first sale, I got the first sale on the first day that I launched the Shareware app. And then I knew that I knew that there was something there and just kept iterating on that. It might have taken possibly 
ooh, if I look back, maybe nine months to get the first hundred sales. Mm-hmm. And now we do, you know, our first hundred sales before, yeah, you know, before, <laughs> you know, in the first three or four hours of the day. So it's like nine months. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, it's a lot different. It's a lot, it's a lot easier now to make a hundred sales than it was originally. But yeah, and you know, that's the hardest time just figuring out what people want. I took a lot of functionality out of the app and that helped and, uh, and pointing people in the right direction. Really just to make the first hundred sales, you need to have a really good understanding of what your customers want. Mm. And you know, when you said you launched, uh, you got your first customer on the first day, like how did you actually get that customer? What did you have to do out of curiosity? And can you take us back to that moment? Like, was it like, were you jumping up and down? Like, like how did it feel? Yeah, well, it felt pretty good. It felt good because I had previously launched a product prior to that, which took me about six months. And I, I never had, I never made a sale out of that. You know what I mean? So I knew, I knew that making a sale on the first day that it was a big deal. So had I not had that failure, then I obviously wouldn't have known that, okay, this is a big deal, making a sale on the first day. I think I got 200 downloads on the first day. And, uh, and I made a sale out of one of those downloads. Immediately, it was like, oh, this is great. This is awesome. Keep working on it and, uh, and keep building on it. So, yeah, that was good. I mean, it was, it, you know, with the shareware mentality, you know, sort of makes it easy to do that, I guess. So, yeah, it was a very good feeling. And, but it was also still like, um, a, you know, a year and a half's work and, uh, <laughs> for, for one sale, which, which was, you know, maybe 40 bucks or something. But no, it's a great feeling. Fast forward to now, you know, you said you four years ago, four and a half years ago was just you. How have you managed to handle that growth? How, like you've employed a lot of staff, you know, how, how do you handle that? Like, how do you work out who to hire? How do you manage that growth? Because I know it's, it must be difficult. It's a quality problem to have, but can you give us some insight into how you've managed that? We get a lot of referrals because, you know, everyone who comes to work with us enjoys what they're doing. We have a really good time. Uh, We have a lot of fun building the product. And I guess it makes it easy for referrals to sort of come through that way. We're also just looking for, we also just try to find people who really have a passion for, you know, for small business who have come from small business backgrounds, but, but, you know, like, like the tech industry. So we, we hire as organically as possible. And, and people, yeah, people with a passion for, for software development and for small business, they're, they're the two key things that we look for. Gotcha. And I'm also curious, you, you recently went through a round of seed funding. Why did you make that decision? Yeah, so the funding decision was based around the fact that we were, we were about 25 people and we knew we had this. We saw the size of the opportunity. There's a hundred million small businesses worldwide and we want to become the invoicing solution that everyone worldwide thinks about when they think I've got to send an invoice and I'm a small business. We want to be that invoicing solution. And the best way to do that is to, is to bring in um, more people, which the funding helps with. We're a profitable company before the funding. We didn't We'd grown organically and we were a very profitable company. The funding was there to accelerate the growth so we didn't miss out on the opportunity. And it was also there to bring in the contacts. It's not just when, when you're 
when you're talking with VCs, you know, the money shouldn't be the big deal. It's like it's the contacts you're making. And through working with, you know, with tier one VCs like Axel and Ribbit, who were behind our Series A funding, we've brought in amazing talent. For example, our CEO built uh, eHarmony, which, oh, is, wow. which is a big brand by the name of Greg Wardorf. And we've also brought in um, top talent from from all the tier one tech firms in and around Silicon Valley. So it's um, it wasn't necessarily just about the money for us because we were already profitable and we'd grown organically and we could have kept doing it that way. But it was to bring in those contacts and, and the experience, which has helped us over the last 12 months, you know, double our subscriber base from 100,000 subscribers to over 200,000 now in the last six months and also grow the company yeah from 30 people to 90 people and th- and that would be uh that's uh, that's very hard to do without without that experience and without that funding too mm. so what's your advice on bootstrapping versus raising capital do you think bootstrap first or yeah it's great i think if you can bootstrap then definitely do it because if you bootstrap and, and build an actual profitable company you can just have a way better conversation when it comes to talking with VCs when you want to take it to the next level. You can continue to bootstrap because you're profitable. So, you know, the ball's in your court and you've got, you've got a lot more um, times on your side, I guess, to a degree. And uh, so, yeah, I would uh, I'd always go with bootstrapping. Hmm. Okay. And I'm also curious, like you said that you were extremely profitable. You didn't really need the funding unless you want to take it to the next level, you know, what I guess triggered you to take it to the next level. You could have, I guess, gone on and, and keep, you know, you had your hundred thousand customers. You could have just gone on and keep getting more customers. What, what pushed you to give up equity in your company and take it to the next level? I think we just saw the size of the opportunity and with the size of the opportunity, it wasn't something that we were able to tackle from our base, which was, in Erina on the central coast of Australia. Hmm, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely not the tech <laughs> hub of the world. We knew we needed to have an office in San Francisco where we could recruit some top talent that's just a lot harder to find in Australia around the marketing and the sales and the user acquisition and, uh, and the way that they, they've got intimate knowledge of, you know, of how to grow companies. And so, yeah, that was what motivated us to do it. No, that's a great answer. And also, how do you manage both teams internationally? Like, do you have any specific tools that you'd recommend? We, we use Skype a lot and uh, we also use Slack a lot. We use the Atlassian suite with uh, Jira and Confluence and get great value out of that. And we find that, uh, you know, that combined with making sure all the offices have super fast fiber access gives us plenty of opportunity to have face-to-face high quality video conferencing but we also make sure the teams travel regularly so you know we've got people from both offices always flying to and from so you know there's nothing 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 can uh, make up for proper face-to-face and uh, you said that you guys have a lot of fun like how have you developed that culture because to go from yeah just yourself to 90 people in four and a half years like i'm just thinking about that myself like it must be very difficult to you know i guess enforce a culture of having fun especially when you 
you, do you have most of your staff here still in Australia or more over in San Fran now? No, we're spread out about 50-50 between both. Yep. I think if anyone is in tech and they're not having fun, then they shouldn't be in tech. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I don't think there's a better industry to be in. You know, it's a, it's a great industry for, for both genders. It's just an industry which, you know, just where equality rings true. And, uh, and so I think it's uh, a great place to be. And, and that's what we look for when we're hiring people, people who just love this space and, and who get it. And if they do, then, you know, then they're people who, who, who really enjoy what they're doing. And we just make sure that we don't take ourselves too seriously, but at the same time, we're professional and that we always put ourselves in, the sh- in, you know, in our small business customer's shoes and we see the world the way they see it. And, and we remind ourselves you know, just how, how hard their job is every day and that it's our job to make it easier for them. That, that's how we instill the culture. Mm. Do you kind of go for like um, like a Google kind of Facebook kind of style, like where you have like working from home days and do you, is your office really cool and funky and stuff like that? Like I'm really curious. <laughs> no, I think there's um, – I think it's good that, if you know, as much – we don't have, the you know, working from home days because I think it's important that, you know, you've got a lot of interaction, especially when you're, you know, when you're a startup. You've still got to remain lean. You've got to have, you know, people talking amongst each other all the time. You know, most of the conversations you have, you know, come from, from dumb ideas a lot of the time. You know, it starts off with a stupid idea and it ends up being, a, you know, it ends up being something which, which, our, which our small business owners really like. So we, we encourage everyone to come into the office. Our offices are, uh, make sure they're in nice locations with nice views, uh, which are central. And, that you know, everyone's got plenty to, you know, eat and drink. But I guess we haven't, you know, we haven't gone over the top with, you know, games rooms and that yet because we've been too busy filling them up with our desks and, and machines. Yeah, that's, that's, how, that's how we do it. Hmm, awesome. And do you have any leadership or management, like, like, number one, like one thing you've got to do to lead a team? Because, you know, that's something that comes up for me actually a lot now is, you know, how do you motivate people? How do you lead them and, and management lessons? Because I know now you've got, you said you hired a CEO, which is another interesting move. Like I'm curious. So first things first, leadership and management, you know, top, top tips there. And then why did you decide to hire a CEO? Yeah. Yeah. Great questions. I think the person who's leading the team has to be the one who can expose the truth of everything. It's all about being able to put your finger on what's really happening and then just telling everybody this is what this is what's happening this is what we've got to do and being 100% transparent in doing it then everyone goes oh yeah yeah that that that's uh, yeah we see that too i think if it's all about just being 100% upfront 100% truthful 100% exactly who you are and then if the, those working around you see that um, you know see the same thing then then you, you know you actually you form a team and we always say it's, you know, it's best idea win. So when we're, wherever we're, you know, brainstorming things, there's no, it's a very flat structure. And it's a person who's come up with the best idea and everyone, not everyone necessarily, we then transform that idea a bit, but it's, it's then guiding everyone to, you know, to seeing what the best idea is and, and getting everyone to, everyone to, like, you're not going to convince an engineer 
you can't tell an engineer how to build something. You know, they have to agree with you that that's the best way to build it. Yeah, so it's, it's just really working together as a team. And I think the only way you can do that is by being up front and having 100% transparency. And, and that's what we also looked for when we, um, with, with our CEO also. We, I moved to having a CEO because you don't know what a CEO does until you actually see a CEO in action. <laughs> and then you actually realise, oh, okay, a lot of people you know, can go around putting the term CEO against their name. But it's not until you see a real CEO and you work with a real CEO that you actually understand, oh, that's a CEO. And, and after seeing it, it's like it's yeah you know it's a great decision and I, and it, it enables me to focus on product while while there's you know someone which is focusing on um, on everything else that needs to happen to build a successful uh, you know startup business. Gotcha. Yeah. No, that's really interesting because me personally, um, I'm asking, I'm being a little bit selfish here, Chris, because I own 100% of my company. You know, we're <laughs> yes. we're extremely profitable, but you know, maybe in the future we should look to. Um, like I've had these thoughts recently, you know, maybe we should look to, you know, bring on some, some seed funding or whatever. And then also, you know, it must've been so yeah. hard to give up your baby and hand it over to the CEO or, or you know what I mean? Like, was that really yeah. difficult? You can get decision fatigue after you do it for a long time. You know, when everything's coming back to you all of the time, you know, after a decade of doing that. And I think also at the same time, when you, if you find someone who you really can work well with, even before you started working together, you've actually created a lot of value. So there's so many reasons to put it off until you find the right partnership. But once you do find the right partnership, if you want to create value, that's the best opportunity to do it, in my opinion. But it's not like when the CEO comes on, you know, it's not like, you know, hand over the reins, I put my feet up. You know, if anything, you know, you're working harder, you're working like hand in hand, Mm, Any wow. good CEO knows that, you know, it's the founder's DNA that created the company and, and, and they foster it and they, uh, and they try, but they just try to amplify it. And that's what a good CEO will do. Mm. You know, that's a great answer. Uh, last piece on that CEO piece, like, were you told by like a mentor that you maybe should get a CEO or you felt that there was a gap in, in the management structure? Because I know you said you brought on like Excel and for your series a through the connections and mentorship i'm sure like you got you guys would have access to some really really a players in the startup field were you told to do that or was it just something that you felt needed to happen oh it was something that i felt needed to happen 100 percent yeah yeah i think you know if you're running if you're running a company you have to know where your strengths and weaknesses are and if you do you know, continue hiring people. Once you find someone who can do a better job at one of those things than you can do, then, you know, hire that person and keep that philosophy going forward. You might you might hire yourself out of the company in five or six years, but, you know, you've built a stronger company doing it. Mm, yeah, no, so the vision before your own, I guess, personal satisfaction. Well, yeah, 100%. <laughs> awesome. So, you know, I, there's a couple of more questions I have to ask you before we wrap up. You know, you, you're killing it on the app store. You, you know, you must have a couple of pieces of tips or advice or hacks for anybody that wants to launch an app. <laughs> I wish I did. Um, <laughs> Build a great product. <laughs> you know, the only tip I have is just keep chipping away. It's like, you know, you can't do much in a week. You, can't, you can get a little bit done in a month. 
in a quarter you can hit a couple of goals. In a year you can do a lot. And that's the way I look at it. You just have to keep chipping away. It's, yeah, day in, day out. I think consistency is what we say. You know, we don't, we just keep consistently chipping away. But, yeah, I don't think there's any hacks. You know, there's, um, there's what, close to a million apps now. So I think all the users are so well educated on how, on what an app should do and, you know, and the quality level. So if you're going to attempt to build an app, then whatever it's taking you to build that app, in man hours or in or in uh, or in cash or whatever, you know, you have to make sure that you can keep that amount of resource going forever. Yeah, it's not like uh, you know I built the app now I wait now you know now I put it out there and you know building the app is just training for the marathon. You know, once once you release it, then you know that's when the actual race starts. Hmm. And what is your advice on like because you said there's a million apps out there. How do you know when to give up? How do you know when to pivot? Like, are you a big fan of lean startup methodology? What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I'm a huge fan of, of lean startup methodology. That's pretty much how we built the company. And you just you just have to know, you know, and I totally agree. Yeah, you know, find out what worked and pivot, find out what worked again, then pivot, then find out what worked. And and if you you know, you keep pivoting, and that's that that's why, you know, that's the whole thing. You know, we're everyone's still pivoting even if you look at the big companies they're all still pivoting so um yeah you you can't uh it's not set and forget Mm. and at what point did you realize like because you guys are a hundred million dollar company right like what point did you realize that i'm gonna make this into a hundred million dollar company did you did you is this something that uh, you always felt inside of you because I know you're a country boy like did you feel like you're going to build this massive startup or and change the the small business industry and platform on how people raise invoices or was there something inside of you that always knew or just like at what point did you realize you were going to make it I think 90% of our work is still in front of us and that's really all we're focused on is making sure that that the small businesses will have an awesome platform, not just for invoicing, but in the future for, you know, a lot of other different products too. And that small businesses can get access to, you know, you know, great functionality, which you know is normally only delivered in uh, consumer apps. Most business apps have always been, you know, they haven't really done a great job on interface, uh, you know, because, but we want to, we want to create a, a beautiful experience for small businesses, the same as what they'd expect from their consumer app. So I think, we've built a really good base and I think from this point on, you know, we're just working on building that base. Mm, awesome. Last question before we wrap is, uh, you know, just three, what is, what are the top three things that you wish you knew before you started? It's almost the reverse. You know, if you knew how, how much work there is, you may not start. <laughs> <laughs> so don't, so don't, so you don't want to think about that because it's, um, you know, it's it's all consuming. It's it's, uh, so so based on that, you just have to you have to just be super passionate about what you're doing. You know, it's going to ring true for everyone. You know, it's always the same. Super passionate. You have to love what you're doing, and you have to be super scrappy. Whether you're bootstrapping or seed capital, you have to be motivated by finding ways of building your business for free essentially you know and that's through using open source through you know finding avenues for advertising which you know cost nothing yeah i think the one thing which it's 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 if if you're not scrappy then the startup world is definitely not for you awesome 
Well, look, um, you know, we'll, we'll wrap there, Chris, but just thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. I really enjoyed our conversation. Hey, guys, I hope you enjoyed this interview. As you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content, either start or grow their business, which is exactly why we're partnering with world-class founders such as Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills such as negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free exclusive trainings, please go to founder.com forward slash free. These are 100%. We go super in depth on teaching a particular topic, and I know that you're going to love them if you enjoy this podcast. So just go to founder.com forward slash free. All right, guys, I'll see you in the next episode.